All right, welcome back for mile 28 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. This is your 2019 Boston Marathon Recap Edition. Benji, how are you, buddy? Dude, I'm kind of buzzing. I've been using this cherry limeade noon that we have that has the caffeine in it. Yep. I'm on my third tablet of the day, so... A little spacey, starting to see white spots, but I could kill a 5K right you now. You are electrolyte loaded. Yes. I hit plenty of that stuff over the weekend before the race in Boston to prepare for some somewhat surprisingly humid conditions mm. on the course, and it is good to be back in the upstate after a long trip in which I had to drive first nearly eight hours then fly from there to Boston and then reverse that on the way back. And so I'm happy to be back with you. And we're going to touch on my race a little bit. But first, more importantly, the stars of the show, the elites at the 123rd running of the Boston Marathon. Our predictions weren't bad. No, we were pretty darn close. We said some names of people who ran the race. Yeah, they definitely... Finished, they, I think. I think all of our racers finished and yeah. decently high. Let's start with the women. Sure. Ladies first. They get to hit the start line in Hopkinton first. Before the start, we'll get into this more as I address my race, but it was a stormy morning, and it cleared up just in time for the women to get going. Last time on the show, you said, normally I would look at the people who have run the fastest times coming in and think, oh yeah, they should win, but not on a course like Boston. And I agreed with you because, yeah, that makes sense. It's this challenging, never give you a break, up and down, rolling course. And then what happens? We were wrong. We're completely wrong. It's just the fastest people won a race. Go figure. Yeah. And in the women's race, it was almost from the gun. Worknesh Degefa, I think around mile five, took off. Um, in watching the replay, you could see her break away and just gap the field. She did have to hold on a little bit late. The field started to move back to her. She gets the win, followed by former Boston champion Edna Kiplagat, who we both picked to win. Finished second. Not bad by us. Great work by her. And then the American bouncing back off injury. I said, watch out for her. I picked yeah, her third. Did. You did call us. Jordan Hesse may just be back. In her return after over a year away from marathoning, that's a heck of a performance. So we'll see what she does moving forward. Des Linden in fifth, and uh, also in the top 10 from American women. Great performance from Lindsay Flanagan. I had Sarah Hall as my third American. She was a little bit farther down. I think she's maybe a top 15 uh, finish. She finished in 15th. 15th place, yeah. Overall thoughts on the women's race? Oh, the American women are just proving that they belong at the top when discussing the marathon. I was most impressed by Edna Kiplagat. The woman is 39 years old Mm. and just keeps showing up. Interesting enough, since we were talking about the top American women, Miss Kiplagat just got her green card in the States and is moving to Boulder, Colorado to give her kids the best educational opportunity she can. When she was asked if she is considering being a citizen, she said she has thought about it. It just depends whatever's best for her kids. Oh, interesting. So her being 39 years old, I don't know if she'll ever get the chance to represent the United States. But it's an exciting thought. Yeah, by the time that would happen, maybe in an Olympic cycle, she might be like 44. (laughs) Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, that is interesting. I had not heard that. I expect we'll see her kids in a Colorado State Championship cross-country race coming (laughs) to you soon. I do want to echo your comment on American women stacking up against the best in the world because some of our best were not there and are Mm -hmm. going to compete in London against some of the world's best. So we'll get a better idea where we stand against the international greats. But again, to have two in the top five... People suggest last year a bit fluky with the weather and having run through it, I know there's some truth to that, but Des Linden still another top five performance. Jordan Hesse showing what she can do, and it just adds more excitement to me for this women's Olympic marathon trial in Atlanta next year that we've been talking about, it seems like, for the past year, and we're going to talk about it for the next year because I cannot wait to see what happens in this race. We're going to preview a little bit of London next week, but when you start talking about these names, plus the names going to London, plus a few other people who are not in big spring marathons like a Kellen Taylor, for example, there is just so much depth in that field. The American women, two in the top five, three in the top ten, that is, I think, become the norm again in marathoning for us and not the exception as it was for many years mm-hmm. men's race what a finish golly closest in decades the guy who we said would be right in the mix who in new york had to fight down the stretch a boston fan favorite lisa decisa at the start line i would say second loudest roar of approval from the other runners really was decisa as they went through i you know i was not in my corral yet for the women's start i took my time and a few warm-up drills that kind of thing but i was there for the for the men's announcement of the elites and number one on the noise you want to guess noise factor who the top men's favorite among fellow runners up in wave one was Oh, goodness. Uh, was it Dathan Ritzenheim? Oh, Ritz did get a pretty good applause. But it was... Jeffrey Karui. It was the main man himself, Yuki. No way. Oh, Yuki got a roar. The people love awesome. the Yukester. Well deserved. Absolutely. It was not Yuki's year. Decisa against Lawrence Chirono. You again said coming in, if we were just going to take this on its surface, you like Chirono as probably the fastest guy in the field. And those two were neck and neck into the final meters of a 26.2 mile race before Chirono gets the win, followed by DeCisa in second, Kip Kamoy, who was not far behind in third. Two strong American performances in the top 10. Finally, a couple more guys to break back through that 210 mark. You've Finally. been putting so much pressure on Parker Stinson to do it. And <laughs> who else? Who else? Chris, Derrick. Chris Derrick. I think you've yeah. guaranteed multiple Chris Derrick 210 performances. Who just pulled out of the London Marathon. Did he really? Injury. Yeah. Oh, you're going to have to. plantar fasciae. Oh, you're going to have to get in touch with him and see what we can do to get that rehabbed. Yeah, I'll reach out to him. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the difference between first and second comes down to an apparel decision. Oh, talk to me. I didn't notice uh, this. Chirono was wearing half tights, and mm. DeCisa had the short shorts on. Yeah. I think the half tight just supports the hamstring a little bit better, and it made it like almost a little more... What am I trying to say? Give me, give me some science some, here. Science me. 
Muscle tension. Yeah, It okay. helps with the muscle tension. So okay. in the later stages of a marathon, he's feeling a little bit snappier because of that extra compression on his hamstring. Is this anecdotal, or do you have any evidence to support this? I just say watch any 800 and 400, <laughs> yeah. and nine times out of ten, the winner's going to be in a pair of half tights. You know, I, did, I went short shorts this time instead of half tights. I've done both in my time, and... You know, you've got maybe a little bit of compression in the half tights. I could see where you're going with that. I don't know if that was the defining factor. It could just be Chirono's speed. He was wearing the AeroSwift 2% half tight. That's a nice tight. Yeah, (laughs) that AeroSwift is nice, though. Back to the Americans. Let's let's get off wardrobe for a minute and go back to the Americans. Scott Fobble, who led for stretches of this race... The mother bleeping Boston Marathon. That's exactly what he said when when quoted, and I think that was spot on. He said, I can't believe I'm leading this thing, right? Jared Ward, friend of the show, breaks back into the 209s as well. I think this makes them, and maybe I'm just giddy and a little post-Boston glow, I think this makes those two guys immediately number two and three on the list of favorites for Atlanta for the men's marathon trials. Agreed. Agreed? Okay. And look at their college and post-collegiate careers. These guys are cross-country studs. Yeah. Multiple-time All-Americans. The trials in Atlanta is going to be hilly. Yeah. This is perfect for these two guys who train at Utah and Arizona. And think about what they did in Boston and New York, which are not easy courses. Right. Sometimes we get lost in what just happened and think that that's always best. And so I tried to step back and reflect. And I really do think that Fobble, in particular at his age, with a big Mm -hmm. PR at Boston, and Ward, if he stays healthy, that's really what derailed him over the past year, the nagging injuries. I think they're the best challengers as of this moment to Galen Rupp to make the team. And then some of the guys that you like might be in the next tier (laughs) of... Americans. Now, do these performances make Galen Rupp not the favorite anymore since he just had surgery or just what he's done has kind of solidified his head honcho? Yeah, I think that's been validated. And as long as he's healthy, I mean, look at what Jordan Essay did in her first race back off a very serious injury. And, and Rupp still has a year to recover. As we've suggested before our musings maybe he'll run a half marathon in the fall to get tuned up and i think he'll be ready to go assuming he's healthy he is still my clear number one awesome a couple other interesting notes from the men's race my pick to click karui finished fifth i don't know i've I've thought for the past year that there were just some small things that were keeping him from continuing to win the way he did two years ago but maybe he's not exactly the same runner Uh, we'll see the sample size is getting larger on that how about the tim ritchie story oh yeah so our listeners may remember tim ritchie as the 2017 cim champion u.s marathon champion that year we mentioned him last week as a local guy who might be somebody to watch with a little course familiarity where's he finish 42nd place. Okay, 42nd place, but there's a whole lot more to the story. Yeah, so in his last two weeks of training, Tim didn't even make it to 26 miles total Mm. for that duration because of a nagging injury. We both 
really just respect him for going out there despite that. He had made a commitment to run the Boston Marathon. He runs what's still like a pretty impressive time. Mere mortals cannot do that. What were the numbers? He went 224. Great race. Yeah. I mean, subpar for a guy like Tim, but he did it for his sponsors. He did it for Boston. He did it for the kids he coached. Yeah. And uh, we at Seconds Flat just respect the hell out of that. That is awesome. Two notes on that. One, I think that would have gotten him like fifth place or something last year, you know? And And two, I did notice, I think it was in Wellesley in actual the village of Wellesley a bunch of UMass cross-country sweatshirts cheering along so they might have been some of Richie's runners cheering him on the way which is pretty cool talk about overcoming those last two weeks the only thing you want in your training in the last two weeks is stay healthy Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's not how it works and so he faced that and here's to Tim Ritchie I know 42nd is not necessarily what he wanted but that's a courageous performance 2019 Boston is in the books. 2020 Boston will look a lot different with the trials in Atlanta and the Olympics coming up. It's going to be a very different type of competition. You'll see the same thing probably happening to London next year as well with an Olympic cycle coming. We'll see who's on the line next year. The hope is for guys like me, maybe we have a little better shot to move up in the standings because some of the top dogs might not be there. But I guess you want to get into my experience a little bit now? Yes. Sound good? All right. Tell me what you want to know. We'll try to break this down for the person who maybe hasn't been to Boston before and wants to know what that experience is like, or the seasoned veteran there who wants to know what it's like now, how it's changed in the past, and maybe what my training was like, and all those sorts of things. So, Benji, I am an open book. Read me. All right. So... The biggest factor in your race last year was the weather. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about this year's weather and how that kind of changed or didn't change your race plan? Sure. So for me, I know that my greatest enemy on race day at the marathon distance is humidity. Where's the dew point? That's what I'm looking for. And it was about 10 plus degrees higher than I would want it to be and about 20 plus degrees higher than I would consider it to be optimal. So I knew going in that that's one of my great weaknesses as a man who sweats quite a bit and loses. I can confirm this. Yes, you can. You're welcome, (laughs) ladies. So I know that the salts, the electrolyte loss, all that kind of stuff in my sweat is going to be a factor. I did my best to preload, like you mentioned, the noon tablets, did all that kind of stuff. I took more nutrition with higher sodium content during the race than I had originally planned. So that was a difference. I went with two Morton Gel 100 packets, but I also used two Goo Roctane Orange Vanilla packets. Uh, So much higher on the sodium and the amino acids. One thing I don't like about that necessarily was the caffeine content, which maybe I wasn't ready for. So that was something. And I I handled them. I got them down okay. No stomach issues. But I probably wouldn't have done that if it was cooler. From mile, I would say three on, I was dumping. I was a sip of water at every station, but just a sip. And then it was dumping on my head just to try to stay cool. You know, the start line was relatively cool. It was cloudy. There had been a ton of really heavy storms beforehand. There was a little bit of a cool breeze, but once you got going, you could feel the humidity. You could feel the temperature rising. And then that last, 
I, I'm going to guess 10K to 10 miles. We were out in the sun, and so then you're starting to, to bake a little bit. I don't think I would have preferred last year's weather again, but this was definitely out of optimal for me. And I think my body felt it a little bit late. I think that just quads, hamstrings, maybe I could have done a little bit more. But if I had to redo the nutrition and hydration piece, I probably would have done something fairly similar down the stretch. So, I, you know, I don't want to use that as any sort of excuse. I still ran a, a, a good race. I wanted a little bit better, but I just had to be better that day and did all I could to handle the weather. But I just had to be better. All right, so since we're going to hit it from both sides, an advanced runner and someone who's never been to Boston. Yep. So Boston begins in corrals. Could you kind of talk about what corral you were in and what that entailed for you pre-race? Yeah, so I was fortunate in that. So to kind of step it back from my ride out, the walk to the buses, I stayed real close to the finish line this year, which I haven't done before. And so I had a short walk to the buses over in Boston Common. And it was like storm of the century on the way over there. And I was felt like I was repeating last year. Oh uh, lightning and thunder and heavy rain and wind and all that stuff. People just getting soaked. Fortunately, had a jacket I could get rid of, a poncho. I had some garbage bags that I wrapped around my shoes so that I wouldn't get wet. Even These weren't even the shoes I was going to race in. It's just what I was wow. wearing out to the village. I just didn't want to be soaked and then put all my other stuff in a Ziploc bag to take with me. I got to the village again, took a later bus given the weather. I was in wave one, corral one. Fortunate because the light, the later you go, even if it's in wave one but particularly waves two, three, four, they consolidated three and four this year, given the weather. Oh, wow. The later on you get to start, the more time you got to spend potentially in Hopkinton at the Athletes Village, and then the farther away from the start line you are and pinned into the corral. So wave one, corral one is, is great because as soon as they start to let people out to get lined up, corrals one and two get to go straight up to their corral and so i could take my time i went down you go down a hill and turn right in hopkinton there and there's a little old gas station that i kind of went under the overhang to Mm. peel off some clothes to donate and kept the last layers on for the last minute at that point it had stopped raining so corral one puts you in a great spot where as the professionals come out of the church and get lined up you get to see them walk right by you and get on the starting line right in front of you One thing I didn't like, I understand it, but I didn't like it this year. We had to start two minutes after the elite wave. They got a 10 o'clock start. We started at 10.02. That's kind of lame. It is, and I think as the people's marathon as they present it, and think about what happened last year with people out of wave one, corral one, pushing up with the leaders. Absolutely. You kind of shortchange the A-minus guy who may not be in the elite. That's exactly right. And I know some of those guys waste it by just sprinting out and trying to run up with the professionals right away. But I think it does take away a little bit from that competition. I went straight to the back of the corral because I know everybody's going to kind of get out of control and take off right away. And so my move at Boston is always in the early miles, get to the back of my corral, get towards the middle of the road, near the crown of the road, and divide the road in half. Don't cross that line afterward because it's easy to get lost in trying to weave through a bunch of people. My thought is it's downhill. I don't want to overdo it. don't want to overcook the quads right away anyway. Try to stay under control from the start. And... I did. I was really happy with the first 5K played out about where I thought it would. 
Well, because the weather was different, I assumed the gear you lined up wearing was a little bit different too than last year. Um, yeah, not a ton. I went fairly minimal for the weather last year compared to most people, but take away the the gloves and the arm sleeves for sure. I went with cap, keep the sun out of my eyes was important here. Originally, the thought was keep the rain out of my eyes. Seconds flat singlet. It was a Boston PR for the seconds flat singlet. So that's, that's exciting. I did go with the short shorts. I went with a pair of shorts that I had not raced in before that I kind of forgot I had. And we went on a run a couple oh, months no ago way. and yeah. just rediscovered. And they're more of a trail short, but they had some great pockets that made it easy knowing I was going to carry a little bit more nutrition with me. So I went with the uh, Patagonia Pro Strider. Pro Strider. Um, yeah, on the shorts. That's cool. And wore the Vaporflies. It was my first race in the knit version of the Vaporfly. Vaporfly. I'm going to stand by my original thought on these. I like the original mesh version for myself better in the toe box. But I do see that you're definitely more locked down laterally in the knit version. Gear, I think that it was spot on. It was. I would do it all again. I felt good and came through at the end thinking that was not an issue. Were you in your trusted in gingy socks? In gingy socks, in gingy wool toe socks, as always for racing. Uh, my second and third toes just rub a little, and I found it out in one of my first marathons, and I have stuck with them since. Awesome. All right, well, let's get down to it. Yeah. The gun goes off. Mm-hmm. Little T-Dog, sprinting his little heart out. Yep, here we go. You went for it. Yeah, I knew from probably before the gun went off that the number I had targeted for most of the training cycle was probably out of the question, and we'll get into more of why. But I knew I wanted to put myself in a position where I came through halfway relatively close to that number, where it was still possible if I ran the second half well. And with that said, line up the early miles so that it didn't overdo it there. So it was really consistent in the first half. And I got to halfway thinking to myself, I want to get there 121 or under. And it was a few seconds under. Like 120.57? Yeah, that sounds about right. And so to me, that played out where I thought that you know, last year I had a negative split at Boston. I didn't necessarily think I could do that, but I thought I could still play this even from here was, yeah. was my thought. And if I played it even, then you know I'm in that 241 high, 242 range, which is still a really good race. 240 was the original number that I had put in my brain and put out to people to try to hold me accountable for. And I thought if I got there and felt fantastic, there's still a shot at 240. 40, even though the second half is harder than the first. Because if I had it laid out right, I could get that last 10K that's downhill and make up a ton of time. I never quite felt comfortable looking back. My legs, the whole way through, never felt quite comfortable. And I don't think quite felt mentally locked into some of the things that I wanted to remind myself of throughout the race. And that probably goes to the training piece that we'll discuss more. But I put it out there and took a shot, just took a swing at what I wanted. Get into the hills uh, in Newton, and the first two of the four hills went really well. The The third, I kind of noticed that the body was, the muscles were just, 
a little bit feeling it. There was some tightness that maybe a little bit grabby that I, I wouldn't have hoped for. But out of the third of the four Newton Hills, you actually get a relatively, within the context, longer stretch before you hit heartbreak. And there's some flat and some downhill. And I really had a focus on, I want to surge on the flats and downhills in Newton. Relax it a little on the ups and surge on the other stuff. And I hit some downhill right before heartbreak where I really had my best segment of the race. I looked at the watch at one point and... I, it had me running like 540 pace, and I wasn't paying much attention to it throughout. But when I, I clicked it every 5K, and generally it had been low sixes, and I knew I had given back some in the hills, and I thought, okay, this is great. I'm going to take some back here. I'm going to ease up on heartbreak. I did. It felt a little tougher than I wanted it to or remembered it from last year. But I still thought as I got out of it, I can make another move. And so I got out of it. I tried to put some surges in. I definitely surged, but they weren't the pace that I wanted. I was coming back off a, it was a decent mile. I think it was 640-ish on the split uphill and heartbreak, which I'm fine with that. I knew I was going to give some back. So I got it down around six minutes and I just didn't feel like I could turn over quite enough. And then, as you said, there was a real wonky split in there. Yeah. And so we're somewhere around 22. I can't remember exactly where, but I I started to notice some tightness, hamstring, hip starting to Mm. tighten up on me. And I got to a water table and a, a guy that was in front of me tried to get over and was, he was slowing down and I tried to let him through and just be gracious and make a move around him to the left And I hit a spot that, I don't know if it was just a little bit different on the pavement. It might have been like a manhole cover, something that was still a little bit damp, it felt like, and just kind of slipped a little bit as I moved to the left. And lateral movement at 20-plus miles in a marathon is not a great idea to begin with, but I really just felt it tweak there. And so then it was, okay, just gather yourself, kind of hobble along for a few steps. I thought, okay, it's okay, I... Maybe I need to, I hadn't sipped any Gatorade to that point. I thought I'm, I'm really starting to feel like I might get crampy or grabby. And so I sipped a little Gatorade, got back going, but I, it cost me, it cost me a minute in that mile for sure. So last 5k was really just kind of a fight through it. I, in spurts came back and made moves more so was looking for some people in the crowd around 25 that I knew would be there and I thought I got to look good for him so I got to put it back together here and got on Boylston it had a little bit left when I regrouped and I saw the clock and realized oh I should look at my watch I think if this time's up right for me I'm going to be right on a minute mark so then it was like a can I sprint in and get under that 00 and I didn't it was 01 but oh was it really yeah yeah so was it, it 24501 24501 yeah wow I didn't realize it yes. was that close I was right there and I thought actually on my watch that I had it but I was wrong so I was <laughs> I wasn't seeing clearly at that point anyway but, you know, you get through the finish line, the volunteers are fantastic, and they were fantastic all day. That is one of the great things about that race, and we have talked about racing with gratitude in your heart, and from the beginning, I tried to, every 
volunteer I passed on the way to the bus and on the way into the athletes' village just thanked them for all they do because they make that race so special. And afterwards, they were fantastic. Two takeaways from the volunteers. One, when I got into the athletes' village, because I was on a slightly later bus than they might expect me, when they checked bibs, they saw my number, and they're probably looking more for wave two type people. And there's a a guy who saw my bib number as I kind of peeled up my layers, and he goes, you got a low number there. Let's go get a PR today. Use fast. That's awesome. <laughs> so it was kind of cool to, uh, you know, just the energy they had. <laughs> When I, when I saw my Viv number. And then at the end, after I came through, all the people who helped me, one of the very last people, you know, they give you your medal and they just want to keep you moving because there's so many thousands of people to get you through and keep everything secure. And there was a girl who I, we might have been 50 feet away. And I just happened to look up and she just, we kind of eyes met and she smiled at me. That's and how it starts. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. If you're out there listening, email me, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I had a banana that I was closed, and I think I was kind of fidgeting with it, trying to get it unpeeled, and she was ready to offer one that they already had them that were already open. People like that who spend their entire day there, and all they do is give, and there are thousands of them. It's so amazing, and I am so thankful for those people, and that's part of what makes that experience so special. When I took that misstep at 22, I had a thought go through my brain of, I don't know that I want to come back here and do this again. This thing grinds me up every year. But you get a few hours removed and you look back at the experience and you remember why it's so special. It's the history and it's the people and it's the tradition and it's challenging yourself to be the best you can be because I could have gone to places where I might have run faster and I'll run some races like that, but there's something unique that makes Boston special. And it's important to remember everyone's a nihilist at mile 22. So yeah, that's right. You can't hold that. You're high. very rarely thinking great thoughts at mile 22. Yeah. If you are, you might have not done enough in the first 21. So you talked briefly about having this goal in mind prior to the race. How was training leading up to that? How did you come across this goal? Was there any key sessions or anything you did differently this time that seemed to indicate that this is what was a reasonable target for you? This is the biggest story of the race for me, and it's the most important theme of this episode, too. It's what I want people to be able to take away. Training isn't always going to go the way you want it to. There is no greater metaphor for life than a marathon cycle, the race itself, but also everything that leads into it. I came out of racing in December in a great marathon performance that I was so happy with. I rolled into a half marathon PR in January and felt like 240, that number was very realistic and very doable. And I did have some workouts that indicated that even in the late weeks, I had a a fartlek session that I have done leading up to several of my recent marathons, and it went as well as it has ever gone. And so there was still some optimism. But for me, the challenge of this training cycle was not always the physical. My mileage was as high as ever. Yeah. But in ways, I ran this marathon solely off miles. 
while there were quality workouts, they were fewer and farther between because of the psychological, emotional aspects of training that are just as important. We've talked about how these things wear on you just like training does. If you don't sleep, if something else is going on in your life, you're sick, whatever it is. And for me, just a multitude of personal family issues piling up in the last probably 10 weeks of training. And that's that's kind of the go zone, right, yeah. in, in training. And I could look back on those and realize it was going to be a stretch to hit that 240 number because of how those things impacted me. There were times that I dropped some what I think would have been valuable training sessions. One of the keys that I look back that I wish I had more of while I had the mileage and I had plenty of big days, I didn't have the same number of big quality days that I find to be really valuable for me. Some of the longer stuff with quality work in it, just not as many of those. There was a week where I had like three doubles where they all ended up getting me around 20 miles. But I don't know that those easy doubles have the same value as one day if I had a 20 with a nice tempo segment in the middle or some hills. And I had one really good hill session late in the cycle, really long grinding up and down with friend of the show, Kyle Kugler. And maybe I wish I could have had more of those. Typically in a Boston cycle, I would put more in. Those things limited me. I would go to what Des Linden said as she prepared for Boston last year about you got to just keep showing up. Mm. And for me, with so much going on in those last weeks outside of running that weighed on me, I just tried to remember, even if I didn't want to get out at the beginning of the day, I'm a morning runner, first thing runner typically. Even if I didn't want to get out or the weather was bad or I didn't have a friend to get out there with, which can always make it a little easier, just keep showing up. I'm going to feel better afterward. I'm going to look back and say, I'm glad I did it. I'm not going to regret that I did it, but I would have regretted if I didn't go out and get those runs in. And so I at least gave myself a shot. This number though that I ran... It was still better than last year in what I consider one of my best races ever because of the conditions. It was still the fastest that I ran at Boston, for whatever that's worth. So there was still great value in the accomplishment and standing up against mental barriers and breaking those down might be worth more in the long term than if I had gone out and run 240 off of a perfectly smooth training cycle. Right. But nobody draws up marathon training where you have to drive multiple states away at the last minute for a funeral and deal with that emotion and stand in front of people and talk about someone you cherished and loved and then turn around and leave from there on a flight and try to get your best performance out on the starting line. But that's life. That's been thrown at a lot of people. In the hotel lobby afterwards, I ran into some good friends who were up there as well. And 
One of them ran last year under almost identical circumstances. In in her case, she lost her mom like a week beforehand. And then it's, what do I even do? Do I run? Or in some ways, maybe it's therapeutic. In some ways, we do it for the people that we've lost. In some ways, it is a marker of the strength that you want to show for someone and the strength that you want to be a sign of your life going forward. Because there's always going to be challenges and there's always going to be obstacles in life. And when I stood on that start line, it's always emotional in Boston. Start and finish are always emotional there for me, more so than any other race. But that flyover, when they come through, oh my gosh. And the thoughts of the people who were lost there six years ago in the bombing. Right before it happened, I talked to a guy I met from New York. And this is one of the great things about this race, the people you meet. In in the start area at the school, I met a guy from Wales. We talked a little while. Uh, Excuse me, from Scotland. From Scotland, we talked for a little while. I met someone in the elevator afterward from Houston. We had a great conversation. This woman I met who uh, was looked at me and said something that none of my friends like you ever said to me. She said, you look fast. Oh, yeah, yeah. People do not perceive me as fast. Well, we don't lie to you. Yeah, but I appreciate your honesty. And I met this guy in the corral from New York, and and we talked a little bit about our goals. He said he had run 242 there last year, but he was thinking something like 10 minutes slower because it was more just enjoying the day. It was enjoying that experience, and you know he had put the work in, and he had accomplished so much, but this training cycle didn't lend itself to 242 again or better for him and I shared my story and said you know that 240 was my original number but trust me man I get it and we talked a little bit about what each of us have gone through recently you can find that those kindred spirits and on a day like that in a place like that everyone's goals are so synchronized right we're all just trying to get the best out of ourselves for 26.2 miles the crowds were amazing as always. They're trying to get it out of you. Just, I love making eye contact with people in the crowd there. Hmm. Because when you do, it's like they want to carry you forward. And I don't care if it's guys in the small towns at the beginning, if it's the girls in the screaming in Wellesley, the college girls who got the signs up saying, come kiss me. I don't care if it's the drunk frat boys at Boston College at 21. If you make eye contact with people there, there's just something special about the way they carry you and build you. And I needed it at a lot of places. I want to read a quote that we found after the race. My mom and I came across this. I would say that this is what I hope I can strive for based on the difficulty of what my life was in the training cycle, but also how the race went. And I also think it describes people in our lives who we know so well, who maybe we don't realize it until we reflect, until we've lost them. This is from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She said, The most beautiful people are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, 
and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. And I hope I'm one step closer to that kind of beauty after this racing experience. And I think that we have so many listeners who, both in running and in life, have known the defeat, the suffering, the struggle, and grown from it. It reminds me a bit of Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena speech, where you're better off to have been in the arena, to been in the fight, than sat on the outside and watched in both life and in running. So I hope I leave this training cycle, which felt like the last 10 weeks of it felt like a lifetime, as a more complete, more beautiful person because of it. And I know that I lost someone along the way who certainly represents those values, who was on my mind, and I am happy to have carried for 26.2 miles with me during that race. I hope that for the people listening, that if you find yourself in that space while you're training for a race, remember what's important. Remember what you value in your life. Use the exercise, the running, the training to get a little bit of an outlet from that. Maybe to recalibrate and find new significance and really know what your life means and what the people around you mean. And we're going to have somebody on the show here coming up who can give a story to this that I think is absolutely beautiful. And we're going to spoil this a little bit and say that friend of the show, our guy JD, who's coming on, he has also composed our intro music for us that we're going to be unveiling here soon. So we can't wait to have him on soon. We'll have a London preview coming up for you soon. We have Morgan Elliott, GDR champ, Black Mountain Challenge champ coming for you soon. All kinds of great episodes coming up. Benji, anything else? Any closing thoughts on Boston training? What we got coming up next? I kind of went off the rails there because it, it was a great, powerful, emotional experience. Yeah. Speaking of going off on a bunny trail. Please do it. The Lake Sonoma 50 yes. was this weekend. I forgot all about that. I don't even know what happened. Oh, well, I won't spoil it for you too much. Okay. But I do want to give a quick shout out to Stephen Kirsch of the Sidious Mag podcast, yep. who just started trail running a little over a year ago. He got a golden ticket to Western State Holy at the race. Holy smokes. Good for him. Yeah. That is awesome. Thrill of a lifetime stuff right there. So cool. Yeah, I got to find out. I forgot that was even happening, and that is one of the great trail races of the year. So yes. I'm going to go read into that. Thanks for not spoiling it. I'll close it up by saying the most exciting thing I bring back with me from Boston is I went into the track house from Tracksmith there on Newberry, hmm. and I come back with the old school leather bound handwritten training log. I have a 100 day log that I'll start using 100 days out for my next big race. I am disconnecting from keeping my training online. I'm going back to where it all began because I love the beauty of feeling pen against paper and then flipping back through it later on and seeing how all the work went. This 100-day training log says, Goals are nebulous things, some we hold in our hearts for years, letting them sit in the someday, the maybe when, the if only. Others are sharper. We grasp them more tightly and feel them more keenly. 
This 100-day training log is for these sharp goals, the ones we write down and plan our lives around. Maybe they're the ones we share. Use this log to track your program and record your thoughts. I'll be doing that. May its permanence be a daily reminder you're one day closer to etching that goal in stone. That gets me fired up thinking about those goals for next time because as much as I was beat up, as much as I didn't want to think about the next race there at mile 22, I am going to take away from this. I want to get back out there after the appropriate recovery, a little bit of cross-training time, and be better than ever next time out. Heck yeah. That is mile 28 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we value your feedback. If you were in Boston, email us your experience. We'd love to hear it. we got to singlet with your name on it, Seconds Flat Podcast singlet to anybody who emails a Boston experience, Seconds Flat Podcast at gmail.com. And before we go, Reedy River 10K this weekend. Good luck to the locals celebrating Easter weekend. Happy Easter to everyone. We will talk to you soon. See ya.